Welcome to Connecting Africa, a podcast series from Africa Tech Festival, where we will be chatting to some of Africa's top thought leaders and startups about the hot topics in tech across the continent and beyond. I'm Paula Gilbert. I'm the editor of Connecting Africa, and I'm recording this from Durban, which is on the east coast of South Africa. My name is Toby, co-founder of Venture for Africa, recording this from Accra, Ghana, where I'm based, although I'm Nigerian. And I'm Tian, the video producer of Informa Tech, also the editor of this very podcast, recording this from Jersey City. Or I just tell people it's New York City because I'm just <laughs> a river across from Manhattan. And this is our inaugural episode, the first ever episode, the pilot of Connecting Africa podcast. Guys, I have a confession to make. I'm American, and I've never traveled to Africa. <laughs> we are aware. We are very aware. <laughs> but you're missing out. I know, I'm missing out big time. When we have our first physical event in Africa. We'll tell them we have to record like a live podcast, and you need to be there. Central. You know, as Toby established that he's not like big on hospitality. <laughs> How's your guest room set up? It's currently booked. <laughs> Let's just say it's currently booked. Yeah, it's especially booked when your parents come visit. I totally get it. So when that place finally opens up, meaning your guest room, and when travel is allowed again, you know, part of the joy is figuring out how to get from point A to point B through buses, uh, subway, or is it taxi? And of course, figuring out the local currencies, especially if you're traveling between countries. So let's say I'm going there soon. What am I expecting? What am I looking at? Help me out here. Hit me with all of your knowledge. It does definitely depend on where you're going. So um, obviously I'm based in South Africa and our banking system here is pretty sophisticated. So if you're coming from the States, you would easily be able to just use your bank cards, your Visa, your MasterCard. But we also have, you know, tons of tech options. So you could use Apple Pay to pay for things, Samsung Pay. Across Africa, like across the continent, there's tons of different mobile money options that you can use. So if you're traveling to East Africa, for example, obviously you would use M-Pesa, which was, you know, the first and is, is one of the really big successful ones. Cash is still mostly king. Um, it's kind of like your safest bet. So if you're traveling here, coming with US dollars and changing it at the airport is probably your best bet. So for this episode, we begin with the rise and the ever popular M-Pesa, the temptation to creating a super app. Does anybody care about a super app at this point? And of course, with any other fintech conversation, we ended with cryptocurrency and the blockchain technology. There's lots to unpack. Join us. Let's start with M-Pesa our first success story coming out of mobile payment in Africa and it's quickly captured many end users and become super popular. That's not only changing the way people send money in Africa, but also kind of setting the new trend line and is redefining mobile payment as we know it. Also, the history of M-Pesa is so interesting. Um, so, like you say, it was the first kind of one to launch in Kenya, Safaricom. Um, so they started that in like in 2007. Um, but if you hear the, the ex-CEO talk about it, um, they, they trialed it in 2006 actually as a microloans repayment um, project. And then they realized people weren't actually using that. They were sending money to family and friends. Um, and so then they realized, oh, actually, there's this amazing market to rather change the software and turn it into a person-to-person transfer kind of service and they they did that and it was all on ussd um people who didn't have bank accounts could use it so i don't know if you're interested in kind of like how it works at its most basic level um so basically they set up um agents in like villages all over um 
Kenya. And then someone could take cash to the agent, they'd give it to the agent. They would then through a series of SMSs that would get converted into like a virtual currency. Then they'd send that to a family member in a different place through SMS is the same, they'd go to their agent and physically get the cash from them. So like at its most basic level, that's how it works. You don't need a bank account, you're literally transferring cash to cash. And it kind of started because in so many African countries, so in South Africa it works like this, in Kenya as well, so many people have moved to um, cities, but they have to send money back to their relatives in rural areas. And so like the old school way to do that was that they would put cash in an envelope, give it to a bus driver who was driving to the village. Oh, bus driver. And then, yeah, exactly. And then like trust that they're going to hand it to their family member. Like that's literally how it works in so many African countries. So obviously risky because <laughs> you've got to trust the bus driver. Um, but now this was a way that people could do it with a feature phone, like didn't have to be a smartphone, 2G, you know, that's how it worked. And and the, the former CEO actually said, like when they launched, um, they said, okay, by the end of the year, they want 350,000 customers. And by the end of that first year, they had 1.2 million in Kenya, and now they have 28 million. So, I mean, 14 years later. And then kind of mobile money has like just blown up all over Africa and every other telco has launched their own version. It is fascinating to me that the unbanked, namely the people who don't have a bank account, can take advantage of M-Pesa and what they offer as a service. Um, because in the U.S., whether it's Zelle, Venmo, Cash, App, you still need a bank account that's attached to the service. This feels very bespoke to the needs of Africa, and I understand that it's been evolving quite a bit. Now, obviously, you can attach a bank account if you want, but people who don't have bank accounts can still use it. So so now it's got that like double layer. You can use it on a smartphone. You can use it on a feature phone. Um, so it has kind of evolved. And then also, I think the big thing was like banking fees are so expensive. So whereas yeah. M-Pesa, I mean, I don't know if it's still the case, but it used to be it's only it was only 1% charge on transferring money, which I mean, compared to a bank is very low. I think in Nigeria, it was sort of like slow to pick off. And even now, it's not as big. Uh, but I can speak for Ghana as well. I think in Ghana, around 2009, I think, um, they had seen how it was really picking up, you know, M-Pesa was picking up in, in Kenya and East Africa in general. And they obviously wanted to tap into that. And so they started off uh, with MTN, I think. But, you know, I think in the first three years, they only got about 35,000 people registered to use it, which was very, very poor. And the reason for that was really that the way the banking bank laws were set up uh, because it was sort of like digital currency as you know Paul has explained only about three banks had the right to register people and then actually make them control sort of like e-currencies in that sense and they weren't keen on letting that license go um, and also try and, and they, I think they felt that if they let those licenses go they would also lose some of their customers using their banking services and so there was no incentive to make that work um, but then I think they, the the mobile money operators and the government and you know the banks came together to really see how to reassess that situation, and they were able to give you know more licenses for mobile money operators to act as agents, and that definitely shut up you know the amount of people that were registering to use you know these these services and just the amount of investments mobile money operators were putting into getting agents out there getting people to register and things like that so yeah um that's kind of like the scene but in nigeria it's it's still very much internet banking that has taken the wave there's a lot of ussd banking which is the same i guess 
structure that mobile money works with, but it's more connected to your bank account as opposed to having a wallet where, you know, there's there's money, you know, going going from one place to another. So in Nigeria, a lot a large part of it is still connected to internet banking as opposed to a separate entity, you know, like M-Pesa. I also think like a lot of it is always regulation, right? It's like never catching up with um, the tech quick enough. And then like the regulators sometimes are actually holding people back. Like Nigeria is the exact example of that. And then also just like TN maybe for all the international listeners, I think people probably think it's a bit strange, all this like USSD stuff that's going on. But the reality is so many Africans don't have smartphones. And so they still use 2G, you know, feature phones, like your old school Nokia 3310s, you know. Um, And that's how they... That's the majority of people. Um, so anything that you launch here, you kind of have to think about that market too. Otherwise, you're just going to the banked market anyway, the people who can afford smartphones. The birth of M-Pesa, I think, also highlights the migration uh, of Africans from rural area to cities. If you look at Nairobi, it went from just a little over 3 million people in 2010 to now closer to 5 million. And perhaps Lagos is a more dramatic example that it reached 21 million from just 1.4 million in 1970. That city is generating 25% of Nigeria's total gross domestic product. That's a very fast pace for these cities to grow. And these services provide a secure way for them to send money back home. Yeah, I think that's always the things that work the best are those that come out of necessity, not out of just like nice to have, right? Convenience, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a super good point. Obviously East Africa, so Kenya, I, I think like the fintech adoption or mobile money is like 75% of people use it. But then actually in a place like South Africa, it wasn't successful at all. Like mobile money failed a couple of times here. So Vodacom and MTN both canceled their mobile money offerings in like 2016. Um, They launched and they like picked up customers for a while and then it just kind of like flatlined and and didn't work. And then um, MTN relaunched last year for some reason, they, they thought they'd give it another try, but like the numbers are still pretty low of people using it. But I think that's kind of, um, South Africa probably has one of the highest banked populations. Not to say we, everyone has a bank account, definitely not. I think it's something around like 75% of South Africans have bank accounts, but it's that's huge for Africa, right? It's much higher than other places. So, so the necessity wasn't necessarily here the same as it was in Kenya. It was in rural areas maybe, but then you've got to, I think the issues are you've got to, push it in rural areas, right? And educate people on how to use it. Cause if they're not hearing about it, they're not gonna use it. Um, and then also we had similar like regulatory issues. I think that it had to go through banking things and then maybe the banks they chose were not really like banks for lower income people. And there were kind of a couple of like teething issues. Um, so yeah, it's, but it's quite a different market, I guess. But that's kind of why it didn't really work out in South Africa, I think. What, what really also made the adoption quite quicker in a place like Ghana was was maybe the speed of it, in the sense that I think when I first moved here to Ghana, using the bank to send money from one bank account to the other, it wasn't always going to be settled immediately. Um, whereas in Nigeria, by that time, we were getting settlements like, you know, in five minutes or even instant transactions getting settled. And so I think that's really what made mobile money or digital payments, you know, on Ghana rise up a bit because obviously... I think why people would reject taking payments and even POSs, right, point of sales, why people don't like to take it is because they don't get access to the cash immediately. But with mobile money, you know, that happened, you know, instantly. Um, and so I think that that might be a factor as well in some cases. And what you said, Paula, initially about the 
you know, sending money to rural areas. I'm trying to think about in Nigeria, like that is actually a problem. But I'm wondering why mobile money hasn't really stepped in to really solve that. Um, because yeah, we do have mobile money in Nigeria, like I said, but it's not as mainstream um, as as say M-Pesa is in Kenya or even mobile money is here in Ghana. Yeah, it's a strange one. Like I don't know if it's because of the banking regulations are too strict, because like Etel. Etel Africa doesn't have a license to run mobile money, and like Etel Money is quite a big, a big mobile money player now. MTN only, which is obviously a huge player in Africa, they only got a license recently. And like Etel is quite interesting because they're kind of trying to spin off their mobile money whole section into something else. But they they operate in 14 countries in Africa, and they can only offer mobile money in 13 because Nigeria and Nigeria is their biggest market. Like 40 percent of their revenue comes from Nigeria, but they can't offer mobile money there. So. Mm. I don't know. It's a weird one. We can't talk about mobile service and mobile payment without talking about who owns what. In the US, every time a new phone drops, which the iPhone 13 just did, there's always a competition to win new customers over. Switch to me and you can keep your number. Switch to me, you get your phone for free. Is that the case for Africa? Is that the case for mobile payment? Here, people just use whatever works. If Venmo works, fine, I'll use Venmo. If you use Zelle, fine, I'll use Zelle. If you use cash, all right, nobody uses cash, so just forget about it. People just stick with whatever works and whatever's the cheapest. Telco is like the most hated of all industries. Like people complain about their cell phone provider, like probably banks and telcos are the worst, right? Um, So I think it's the same in South Africa. People will just jump ship and they'll just port their number to someone else. Um, And there is a lot of that. I think like the interesting thing is, is the changes now with like mobile money type services and these apps that the, the telcos are coming up with. They're wanting to make them that you don't have to be like an MTN subscriber to use the app because they want more people on their like chat app or whatever um and so that's changing a bit so then i guess it doesn't really matter you can be on a different provider and still use the thing you don't have to switch networks for that but then also a lot of them like offer the same things like you said so initially obviously it was only mtn that had the license in ghana and so everybody because they wanted to access that service started to get mtn sim cards and so i think um soon obviously vodafone and airtel tigo you know caught up and got their licenses as well and so obviously people weren't buying mtn sim cards again solely because of mobile money uh but i think for 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 us here um both in west africa like nigeria and ghana it's almost always a question of cost right like is it cheaper to send money across this particular platform? For example, I think Airtel Tigo in Ghana doesn't charge or they charge the lowest transaction fees. But the issue is um, the network effect. MTN already sort of like got a lot of customers at the start. So although MTN probably charges the most in terms of transaction fees, people still use um, it the most because everybody's already on it, right? But I'll say it's always a question of which one is cheaper, right? For in Nigeria, if it's easier to, or cheaper to send money via internet banking than using your mobile device to do it, people will switch to internet banking. If it's cheaper to use mobile money, people will switch to that. So I think that's always sort of like, a, it's always a thing about price. And obviously, like you said, TN, if it works. Yeah, and I, like, I don't know, TN, like what it's like in the States, but in Africa, most people will have more than one SIM. So they'll have like a prepaid SIM from like three or two, three operators 
operators and then they'll just switch them out or they have different phones. I mean, sometimes because they've got more than one girlfriend, but sometimes, you know, for other reasons. Um, <laughs> but they, they'll they have different SIMs. So then they'll decide to use like, okay, so, and also there's like interoperability issues. So like if my friends on MTN money, like mobile money, then I'll use that one to send to them. If my other friends on Airtel, then I'll use that. So what we're seeing now is kind of the, the telcos deciding, okay, they're going to let people transfer between the mobile money offerings because otherwise they're losing customers. They yes. were only using a little bit here, a little bit there with the different ones. So yeah, that's also something that we're seeing a little bit of change on. Are, are they innovating as much as they you guys want to want them to? Or are you are they kind of just like, they just provide that one or two service that you use and they don't do anything else? Let, let me speak based on Ghana, right? I think right now, there isn't so like I'm thinking about every day that I go out. There isn't a lot of ads out there that say, "Oh, get this service because you know we have mobile money and things like that." And I think that's because of the thing you said about interoperability. Um, now I think you can send across different networks, so it doesn't really matter the network that you're on. Um, and so most of the ads you're seeing out there from mobile from from mobile networks is all about data plans and you know things like that, how cheap it is to call. Um, and there's an app called Express Pay in Ghana that I think has also maybe made this easier because it's an app that connects all mobile money networks, your banks, any kind of services you have to pay for. They're essentially just trying to digitize everything like a super app. And so from there you can connect your bank account to it, um, and then you know send to mobile money from a bank account or send from a mobile money account to a bank account. You can send from MTN to Vodafone, from Vodafone to Tigo. But I think some some mobile apps, some mobile network apps also allow you to send to other networks. But it feels easier using a service like Express Pay because they're like, you know, have APIs connected to everyone. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of innovation, I wouldn't say there's been a lot of innovation um, in recent times from mobile money network operators. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like, it's especially with like the big South African telcos, I would say they're more focusing on like the customers that they already have, let's offer them more things. Let's get them to buy more services from me, you know? So now like a Vodacom, their financial services business like used to make a loss. And and like in the last four years, they've completely turned it around. Now makes like huge profit, like $700 million a year, I think. Um, and that's like offering device insurance, um, life insurance, funeral insurance. Um, they're offering microloans. Yeah, the funeral one's always something that people think is interesting. Like legit, it's big business in South Africa to, because funerals are like a big event. You spend a lot of money on funerals, you know, like that's the culture. And um, so people have like funeral plans so they can pay in advance so that when someone dies, they've got, they can get a payout of this money that they can use for the funeral. So now like the telcos are offering funeral insurance um, what do they not offer is my question. Like, sounds like they are trying to be the, the, the be all and all when it comes to money and connectivity. People or people who like can't be bothered to move networks, right? I'm like that. I've been with the same network for like a really long time. Maybe I could get a better deal on a different one, but I just can't be bothered to like switch all of it and your payments and your whatever. Um, and then if they come at me with like, oh, hey, I can also offer you um, like insurance on your phone so that if it gets stolen or you lose it, like, sure, I'm going to take that. You know, the thing you said about funerals is quite, quite interesting because actually it's, a, it's, it's slightly, I was very shocked about it in Ghana as well because in Nigeria, like weddings are bigger than funerals. Like, that yes, should be we the case. have big funerals. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in terms of like planning and everything, there's a, there's a lot of focus on 
on weddings in Nigeria. But in Ghana, whereas in Nigeria having weddings every weekend, in Ghana, what was more apparent was there were funerals every weekend, right? And so you see a bunch of people dressed up in black and white and red, and there's a whole culture around it. And when you go into your bank, there's actually ads for things like funeral insurance or savings plans and contributions plans for funerals so that you can give your... So it's a whole thing. And I had to speak to a local here to really understand the culture around it. And he sort of shared a bit of insights as to why that is the case. Um, but yeah, I found it wild. And we're just, what, 300 kilometers away from, from Ghana in Nigeria. And I found it super, super interesting. Uh, but yeah, that, that's definitely a thing. Not to dwell too much on the, the funeral insurance part, but is it, <laughs> do you do it for yourself? Or do, is it, do, do, do I buy an insurance policy for myself or for your loved ones? Or both? I think it can be both. Okay. Yeah, I think it can be both. Um, so you'll maybe take one out so that like when your mother dies, you have the money to to do it. So you don't have to take a loan out at that point. Because it's also like this culture of, I think weddings to some extent are the same, but like funerals, like anyone can walk off the street and attend. You have to feed like everyone who comes. Okay, not in COVID, luckily. I think that's luckily brought costs down for a lot of people. They can only true, have 50 people true, at their funeral. True. But like, it's kind of like in India, you know, like anyone can come to the wedding. It's similar. African cultures like that, like... Everyone is welcome. We'll just keep making food for all these people. Um, and I think it's also like a status thing. Like you have to be seen to be like sending your, your family off in like a good way, you know, so it can be big business. Sorry, we got off on a real funeral tangent there. <laughs> no, but I think the all-encompassing service from life to death give way to the idea of a super app coming alone. I'm sure it's in the making. I don't know if consumers or end users such as ourselves care much about it, but I think somebody's making it. Just look at messaging, for example. I use Facebook Messenger to talk to my friends and Instagram Messenger to trash talk with my friends. Um, sometimes a little Twitter email here and there. And of course, Line to talk to my friends in Asia, WeChat to talk to my family in China, WhatsApp for all my European friends and colleagues such as you guys. And it's kind of a mess. Some work with desktop, some doesn't, and I usually once a week I'll type something wrong and, and some people will say what's the context of this random meme you just sent me so it's it's crazy and so it does I mean I understand there's a lot of concerns about a super app but it you know what's going on the telcos are coming up with these these super app ideas um I think they're looking to China and they're seeing like how WeChat's been so successful like Alipay has been so successful with like combining payments and chat services together so like I think it's kind of been since 2019-ish. It was actually AfricaCom that year that that MTN and Vodacom started talking about having a super app. And so... Love it, you secretly plug our event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but it really was there. They announced it. <laughs> okay. Like, that's why I remember it. Uh -huh. um, and, like, the CEO... They launched Ioba, which is like a messaging app, but the idea is kind of to turn that into messaging plus payments plus whatever. And then Vodacom also came out saying like they also want to launch a, a super app and they've actually done a deal. So they launched um, Vodapay, which is like, I guess, similar to Apple Pay or whatever. And they want to turn that into a super app. They've done a deal with, with Alipay in China. Um, and they, but to be honest, they've been talking about it for a while and they still haven't launched their still super apps in the, you know, in the pipeline. But I think, that's kind of the idea. So on the one hand, I'm like, okay, it might work. Maybe it'll make like easier. You'll do all that stuff. But then on the other hand, like you, am I going to switch from WhatsApp when I've been using it for so long for my messaging app? Like probably not because even with, you know, with the security issues, um, when they changed their rules, like everyone went nuts in South Africa, like we're leaving WhatsApp, you know, downloading signal, um, whatever. I mean, that lasted like maybe a month. I like to message a few people on signal and then like we're back on WhatsApp because it's just, 
yeah. So, so the point I was going to make was, I think, you know, to go from, because if you look at China and WeChat, the experience from that, I think it was from a social app into having all of these things, right? So everybody was already oh, there socially and then you yeah. built that on top. Now, the apps in Nigeria, the different platforms in Nigeria are trying to do the reverse. Like they're already known for one thing and they're trying to build a social element into it. And it, I, I don't even see that working. Like, I'm not going to go on my bank app and start chatting with someone like, geez, no. But there's more likelihood that within my WhatsApp, if I could do all my banking services within that app, that that's, you know, much like a better thing. Because I think right now, Facebook, Twitter, all the social platforms, there's definitely a huge penetration in some way, shape and form, you know, in Africa already. And so it just makes sense to add payments on top of those things. But funny enough, we always get hit like either last or not at all, right? So WhatsApp business pay, for example, non-existent in these parts, right? And that's something that would really, 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 really probably like, you know, hit, grow like a wildfire. Even Instagram as well, like the shopping cart thing hasn't really picked up well per se, but I just know that if any of these, like Twitter, for example, I started adding the whole tipping thing on, on the platform. I think a lot of, you know, Af West Africans will probably find some good use of that in, in that sense. But yeah, all to say that I feel if you're going from the service that you offer to social, it probably wouldn't work well, um, but more like the other way around. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because um, in South Africa, like a lot of um, the banks suddenly started offering WhatsApp banking mm. and like at the time i was like that's so weird why would i want to bank through whatsapp like that's so strange <laughs> but people love it like like you say like a lot of people use it mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so i don't know yeah yeah like are, you, are people asking for it is my question like, are, do, are are they forcing it on on, on on you guys or are you actually yeah, you know that's a good question because it's like is it actually the telcos who think they've seen it work in china and they're like this will make us money or is it like actually people want it i don't know if if that's actually the case. I guess like you'd have to use it and see if it works for you. And then if it's a thing like you only have to be in the one app and you can use it like at the stores and you can message your friend, like, yeah, maybe it could be a cool thing to have. But like for right now, I mean, I'm not as bad as you. I don't have as many messaging <laughs> and, like, banking services, but um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess we only know what we know for now. So for, maybe exactly. if, if something new, we, we didn't know that we loved WhatsApp so much till it came. So, true, you know. true. Like, you know, I, I remember BlackBerry Messenger and, you know, that seemed like the life. And even before BBMs, like there was also like, <laughs> yeah, there was also Yahoo Messenger and the whole Hotmail thing. Like, you know, I think that was also fun. So I think, yeah, like we wouldn't know until we know. I hate to be that guy who has to bring up crypto everywhere he goes, but all of these difficulties between countries and low transaction fee and the complexity of all the payments kind of alludes to uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. And I think I should mention that Nigeria ranked number three in terms of crypto trading volume in the entire world in 2020. So would all of these things we discuss point to a blockchain solution? A lot of it has been more as an investment vehicle as opposed to as sort of like day-to-day -day transactions and paying for something, right? So people are investing in it to sort of like cash out of stuff. And there's also a small percentage that is using it to send money across the places that they can't get access to. Um, but I think 
what we're going to see a lot of times is that the government is going to try and regulate this as much as possible, right? You know, you still have to pair it with your bank sometimes to get the cash in and things like that. And that, that makes it very difficult um, to get the, vol the government not involved in this in that sense. So I think if crypto really is, is going to pick up a lot of steam, there has to be a lot of like work with government to make sure that they're, they're happy with what's going on and give people the right licenses to do things. Because right now, a lot of bank accounts were getting blocked and flagged in Nigeria if they sense that you're trading in crypto. And how they can get that is, you know, sometimes when you put in the comments that, oh, you know, Bitcoin or crypto, like, so people were trying to tell people not to leave anything in the comments unless you know you're trading anything. Um, but I think also there's so many cryptos now that then it got confusing. And it's like, you must use this one, you must use that one. I don't know. Um, I think maybe blockchain itself, people are more into and the governments are more into like using. And I know like our government and our like um, reserve bank was like talking about it, or they're at least looking into it. You know what I mean? So, so blockchain, I think is something that they maybe want to use. I think, yeah, unfortunately, all the cryptos do have a bit of a, a stigma and especially in like a lot of countries where they're trying to regulate things to to stop criminal activity and like you know like nigeria like the sim card registrations and stuff to try stop like terrorism is part of it as well as just like you know crime i don't know i think maybe yeah crypto still has a bit of a bad stigma and people see it as something that then the bad people can use you know and not be tracked i think one of the quickest ways i feel it will pick up is if you know you can move you can cash out of it quickly, right? How you have like Bitcoin ATMs in, in in Asia and things like that. I think if people feel they can get in and out quite quickly, that's that's great. Because right now we have apps that let you invest and buy all of these things. But for example, the app I use in Ghana, I, I wouldn't name names right now, but like I can't get my money out of it because they said they've, they're working on something. So my money's on it and I can't cash out and I can't deposit, but I can trade on the platform right so it's like it's like the opposite of mobile money being like useful and you can actually get your money like you if you can't get your money what's yeah, the point like what's the cool point? i can transfer it to my friend in another country but they can't get it out exactly so 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 that's that's where things are getting tricky um and we'll see how that goes over the next couple of years i guess so we've come a long way since giving hard-earned money cash to the little mate on the bus and hoping that he or she will deliver to your family at home and where we are now. A very saturated and diverse experience across the continent of Africa. So where do we go from here? Where to next? I think as opposed to giving more exciting financial services at the top of the funnel, I do think there's just going to be more people being included into the financial ecosystem, right? Because, you know, a lot of people don't have access to credit or any kind of services because they just don't have financial history. People are still keeping money uh, in pillows, uh, in the ground, and mostly because of, you know, banking fees. Some of them know about the banks and it's not like they don't like that service but it's like if you're earning less than a dollar a day and a bank is charging you to keep money with them it's like how much of that money is left with me you don't have to like the banks but the more you're exposed the more the more you understand how bank operates that improves financial literacy which is a problem not only in africa but across the globe so that kind of puts you in a place where you can at least make decision that's best for you you know you can still go on bank if you want but now you have a choice and you can make your educated decision on what to do with your money mm, absolutely 
we've seen such like an evolution of like the possibilities that you of things you can do through a mobile phone now and all the mobile financial services you know that are available that weren't before but um i think it's a topic we could probably talk about for hours but um you guys have probably heard enough from the three of us but um coming up this season on the podcast we'll be speaking to a lot of different startup founders and angel investors and interesting personalities from the continent about a lot of different topics so if you've enjoyed the podcast you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms um, and if you want to find out about the latest news about africa's tech ecosystem go to the connectingafrica.com website to find out more